1: The wisdom of God Is Christ crucified The power of God To those now in his care The devil spreads his wicked lies Deceiving the hearts of men Only the truth of the gospel Can set men free and make them whole Alright Every man, woman, and child You gotta give them the gospel Black and white, rich and poor you demonstrate the love of God when you give them the gospel Now sex, drugs, or alcohol can take the place of a loving God All we need is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life Oh, every man, woman, and child, you gotta give them the gospel Black and white, rich and poor, give them the gospel you demonstrate the love of God when you give Him the Gospel The world can't solve its host of problems by looking to itself All it needs is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life for every man, woman, and child You gotta give Him the Gospel Black and white, rich and poor, give Him the Gospel You demonstrate the love of God when you give Him the gospel. Oh, so give Him the
0: gospel. All right, I'm going to give you one more song. And uh, it goes like this. (laughs)
1: it's springtime the season for love and romance men and women come together to join in the dance holding hands and giving kisses and sharing their vows of love toward each other but i wonder if there's love in old love for me where he gave his own son to suffer and die for me his enemy that's real love and I know that this love for me it's plain to see searching for love never knowing something greater has come from above to give him comfort feel the whole His own son to suffer and die for them his enemies that we love and i know that there's love for them it's plain to see at the cross if you're lonely feel forsaken and fear Despair. Listen to me when I tell you there's one who does care. The God of heaven who created you. And this world has sent His one and only Son to show you what love is about. So own love for you where he gave his own son to suffer and die for you his enemies that's real love do you know that there's love for you it's plain to see at the cross there is love for those heart has been broke, oh, there is love for those who feel they're left out, oh, there is love for you, whoever you are,
0: real, real love. All right, good morning, I'll be uh, right back, when we hang up the guitar right with you. And while I'm doing that, go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Alrighty, good morning again, and you should be at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, if you haven't turned there already, we'll get there momentarily. Um, just uh, a couple of announcements uh, coming up for Winston Bible Ministries, we'll be taking a, a two, uh, two-week two break from teaching here, uh, I'll be, uh, there'll be no classes, as you can see on the board for those who got the, um, the podcast, uh, the, not the podcast, the video, there'll be no classes uh, for Winston Bible Ministries on Saturday, February 24th. Tuesday, the, February 27th, Thursday, February 29th, Saturday, March 2nd, Tuesday, March 5th, and Thursday, March 7th, and Saturday, March 9th. So our last class uh, before the uh, this break will be uh, next Thursday, the 22nd, and we'll resume classes Tuesday, March 12th. So the last class before the break is next Thursday, the 22nd, and then, uh, yeah, the 22nd, and we resume classes uh, Tuesday, March 12th. So just uh, mark that in your calendar and uh, so uh, this is uh, today we're gonna uh, gonna uh, wrap up our study of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 which teaches us that the church is growing into a holy temple by means of fellowship with the Lord so this will wrap up our study of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 and uh, I, a lot of times I like to do announcements on Saturdays because there's a lot of new people coming in all the time really through the podcast and the different websites that we have um, not just Winston Bible Ministries, but Logos Sermons website too. And we have podcasts on Amazon Music, iTunes, and Spotify. You just search for us on the Wenstrom Bible Ministries. And our main webstra- website is Wenstrom.org where we have uh, all of our written materials, over 1,700 written articles in PDF format on different, uh, the exegesis and exposition, interpretation of the various books that we've done over the last 30 years. And then uh, also the different doctrines of the Christian faith. We set it up in in the different areas of systematic theology. We also have studies on the various characters in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. We have uh, have prep school materials as well. Uh, We also, I record, write my own music, Christian music. And I'm in the process of writing a new collection of 14 songs. And I'm hoping to make a dent in that. I've done three so far. I'm hoping to make a dent on that in the next, uh, on this coming, upcoming break. So, uh, if you go to Wenstrom.org, you search under the, the homepage. There's a, pad, um, a, a tab that says music. So, you just click on that and you'll see the various uh, collection of songs I've done over the years and, that I've written myself. Um, so, and those are on actually our YouTube page as well. Just search for me under Wenst- uh, Bill Wenstrom or Wenstrom Bible Ministries. Just Google me, you'll see. Or you can go to Wenstrom.org page and there's a little insignia at the very tiny <laughs> insignia at the bottom of the homepage and you'll see our. You click on the Facebook one, that'll take us to our our, uh, Winston Bible Ministries Facebook page. And then also there's a YouTube um, insignia. Click on that, it'll take take you right to our YouTube page. And we use streaming video by YouTube. Uh, We've been using it actually since uh, I moved to Massachusetts back in 2019 of August. And it's done really well. I've kept it. And uh, when I've come to Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I'm located, that's why I'm not in Massachusetts anymore. I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. I have been since uh, 2022, July. J- July 2nd, I moved in. And I'm the pastor over there, uh, over at a church here in Huntsville, Alabama, Doctrinal Bible Church. And we record our uh, the audio of our classes. Soon we'll be doing the video. Uh, doing Record all the audio of our classes. And we put them up uh, on, the, on the, uh, the Logos Sermon site and the audio and also... Uh, and we said uh, it's up on the podcast as well. So if you go to Western Bible Ministries on our podcast or the Logos Sermon site, which you can find with just Google us, or you can go to the homepage of Western Bible Ministries and you'll see, listen to classes at, at, uh, at uh, Doctrinal Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama. And you can click on one of those links and it'll take you right to the Logos Sermon site. And you can listen to the audio of those classes. And I post, post the notes there too. But um, but you'll see it's it says, uh, Hunts, uh, Doctrinal Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama, the classes that are recorded there live and as I, like I said before we' soon to have the video I'm, I'm hoping and uh, so uh, that's uh, and also um, we have a lot of a, our articles over 700 written articles on our academia edu website so if you google me when, uh, Bill Wenstrom, or Pastor Bill Wenstrom or Wenstrom Biomism, whatever you'll find you'll see that academia edu website which is doing really well we have and uh, they have great analytics uh, they they I've been on there since 2017 I I remember when I was like, oh man, maybe should I, oh, my, I'll, put it, I'll put it up there, my stuff, and I'm not thinking that there'd to be too much of an audience, and uh, and so we have uh, over since 2017, we have like 908,000 views, and like for, over 4,700 followers, <laughs> and we're in the top one percent, so that's pretty cool. So I was very that's very gratifying. So a lot of people reading the stuff. And, uh, so that's good. So, um, and keep that, all these things in prayer and God has given them to us to use and to, for the gospel. And, uh, what else? I think a class schedule for Winston Bible Ministries is Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. I'm located at 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue, Northeast in Huntsville, Alabama. And, uh, if you uh, want to give to the ministry, uh, people do it through PayPal or they send a check. Uh, Uh, there's Winston Bible Ministries. If you go to the, homepage, you'll see the donate tab and you can click there and you use PayPal. A lot of people use that. It's pretty convenient. And then some people send me checks and uh, you can, if you do send a check, you make it out to Winston Bomber Ministries. It's tax deductible. We're a nonprofit profit and uh, tax deductible. And uh, you, uh, the address, mailing address is Winston Barber Ministries, 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue, Northeast in Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. If you want to come to see the classes at um, Doctor Bible Church, it's a beautiful church and it got a great crew there. It's great, got a great uh, group of people that love the Word of God. Uh, it's at twelve fifteen Russell Street, Northeast, in Huntsville, Alabama. So I give the address on the winstrom.org dot org page. You'll see in the home page where it talks about this in the classes at Doctor Bible Church. It has the address there for that place. And it's, it's a half mile down the road from me. I can walk there, and uh, so uh, so. If, and it's got a great, um, great, great uh, acoustics in that building. In fact, uh, one of my deacons mentioned I've been. Uh, talking about doing it for a while they've had concerts put on there and i'm thinking of doing a, a concert down here uh and not too distant future probably maybe in the spring or uh the summer or maybe probably the spring maybe april may something like that maybe um and do to uh, invite some other people to, to play in the church there's other musicians and so they can perform and and uh, but i uh I have to do my own stuff and uh it's it's I, I love playing. I might do some little I got, I've been they got a nice piano in there so I've been doing a lot of uh messing around with the piano so I'm getting uh, I, I still have a long way to go. So I got three piano players in the church so I could probably pick up some stuff from them for sure. And uh but I just. I I can play enough to write songs, you know, sim, you know, not too difficult <laughs> songs and all chord changes. But uh as you can see in that first song I messed up my own song with the uh, the chord changes. I forgot the arrangement a little bit there. Anyways, it's been a while since I played that song. And I didn't practice before. I just did it the last minute. I said, I'll play this song. I love this song. So anyways, enough of the announcements. And uh, let's get to it. And uh, again, again, just so before we, just so you remember again, and I'll keep announcing this next week. And I'll post it on the Wenstrom.org uh, page and also the Wenstrom uh, Bible Ministries uh, Facebook page. There'll be no Bible classes for Wenstrom Bible Ministries. Uh, starting February 24th and will ending March Saturday March 9th. So the last class before that break is next Thursday the 22nd. We resume classes on Tuesday March 12th and we'll be starting a new chapter when we get back uh, in in March. So again, we still have those two classes next week. So don't don't not do not show up. I want you to show up. <laughs> All right, let's take a moment of silent prayer. As is our custom, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or over an act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to first John 1 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He God the Father is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, in other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the scriptures which he's inspired, and that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5 18, to be filled with the Spirit. And Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing, or distracting to you, do what First Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this day that you've given to us another day to study your word. We thank you, Father, for those who are watching live or listening at a later date or watching these recordings at a later date on our various websites and podcasts and media platforms that you've given to us. I thank you for them, and I thank you for those who are your children that are in the audience and those who are not yet your children. I just thank you for each and every person, and I pray that uh, your people in the audience will receive their necessary spiritual nourishment. Help them to learn by the Spirit and apply what's being taught to concentrate, to make, break down any barriers that sin and Satan would put up to hinder that from happening, which would prevent them from receiving their necessary spiritual nourishment. I also pray for if there's any people in the audience that are not yet Christians that are interested or just uh, searching or just uh, in a crisis, I pray, Father, that you would, uh, through the Spirit, uh, give them the, the gospel so that they can make a decision to either accept or reject your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, and we know that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. I also pray for myself that you would empower me to uh, communicate your word today in this passage in Ephesians 2.21 as we wrap it up by noting uh, that the church is growing into a holy temple by means of fellowship with your son Jesus Christ and yourself in the Spirit. I pray, Father, that by the Spirit help me to communicate accurately this lesson and to do with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect so that you people can uh, receive the necessary spiritual nourishment because your word teaches us that man does not live on bread alone but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And I just pray, Father, that as a result, all of us would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. I also pray, Father, for the, re- the recordings, the streaming video by YouTube, the recordings, the video and audio, and the upload of these things to various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us so graciously. I pray, Father, there'd be no problems with them. And thank you for these things and use them mightily and protect them from the enemy as you've been doing. So, Father, we pray for this uh, service in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter. Please go to Ephesians chapter. What did I do here? Okay. Anyway, so, uh, hold on one sec. I'm my. i having a good day here. I bumped my hand, bumped the... uh... All right, here we go. (laughs) That was weird. My mouse, I have... If you saw what... (laughs) You'd think it was Star Trek here. I have... You wonder why I mean, if I don't, this doesn't happen more often. I got it, I have dual screen monitors in front of me, okay? I got a keyboard in front of here, I got t- a dual screen monitors over to this side of me, and then I don't think you can see it. And I, behind me, I got another laptop, you know, so you can see portion of it. So I got all the, and I got a keyboard here. It's like, and I'm like, I, I moved my mouse and I banged into this other thing, and it flipped my screen, what I usually have lined up to the other side of my other, my other monitor. Like, where did it go? Where are you guys? So that's why I'm. Little, I get a little flustered sometimes. I'm not, a, I used to have an engineer, not anymore, but uh, it uh, it can get a little, it used to be really crazy when I was, uh, when I first started in Massachusetts without Titus. It was like, oh my gosh, it was so nerve wracking. But I remember the day I was up, when I was on YouTube and I uploaded it and it went successfully. I was like, oh, look, I did it. <laughs> Anyways, so if an idiot like me can do it, anybody can do it. All right, so uh, we see that uh, Ephesians, I'll get there over there. Uh, we see we're going to be, at, we're going to start at, uh, we're going to read today from the NIV 84 version. Uh, the whole chapter is, and we've been doing this as we go through chapter two so we can pay attention to the context and in, in each verse that we study. So we're going to read from the NIV uh, 84 version and uh, chapter two of Ephesians. And then we're going to go and read my, my con- uh, st- uh, translation of uh, that chapter and then look at, finish off verse 21 today. The reason why we do this again you know, a lot of pastors, and I see people who, they're good men, and they good, they teach the Word of God, or they're great, but sometimes they don't read enough scripture. <laughs> like, they don't look at the whole passage in detail, and I think sometimes when people come in late, they don't, they don't miss the context of what you're talking about. So, I oh, if you notice with me, I'm always trying to re I, I, I review some stuff, I reiterate stuff, because I'm, I have, the audience I have is pretty eclectic. It's all around the world. It comes all the time in different people, different forms, different times. So I never know exactly. It's not like I have a group in front of me that I, okay, I know who's here tonight, you know. Like sometimes I don't, I don't even bother to. do, you know, I said, you know, I don't, I, have that, I tell you about confessing your sins at the beginning of class. Sometimes I say, you all know what to do and okay, here we go. Because then I know who's in front of me and I know who knows what. Uh, and so I, you know, I, a lot of times I, I want to read the context in which we're, the verse that we're working on, I want to look at it in its particular context. So that means looking at stuff before it and, and then after it. Because I, I, that's one of very important thing about interpretation, and I see a lot of believers, and even expositors, they don't pay attention to the context, and uh, they, they, they really, uh, mis- you know, they might get the gist of something, but they don't see it in its context, which is very important. So, And also, you know, remember false teachers and, 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 and uh, cults, they take a scripture and they take it out of context and they make, a, you know, they create false doctrine and that, you know, that happens all the time. It has, and it continues to do so. All right. So Ephesians chapter two, verse one, and we're reading for the NIV today. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit was now at work and, the, and those who were disobedient. And then he goes, to say, goes on to say in verse 3 All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, and called circumcised by those who have called themselves the the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you, who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. But uh, before we look at my translation of that chapter, and dig into the rest of finish off verse 21 today. Uh, a couple of things uh, about the, what we're the, the chapter what we're reading and here in Ephesians. Remember Ephesians was written by Paul, in approximately 60 between 60 and 62 A.D. during his first Roman imprisonment, which he eventually was released from. He was under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, had his own rented quarters, according to Acts 28. And uh, we see that the recipients of this letter were not just the Ephesian Christian community, but the various Christian Christian communities and the various cities and towns and the Roman province of Asia. We know this because it's a circular letter, as we pointed out in detail. The purpose of this letter is to maintain unity in the body of Christ experientially through the practice of the command to love one another. And in particular to maintain the unity experientially between the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. Now, Paul has been looking, uh, has been saying to us in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 that the the Gentiles and the Jews, there was a hostility between the two which was caused by the law. And the first aspect of the law, one aspect of the law, or the reason why it caused a, uh, a racial divide uh, between Jewish and Gentile people is because the law... The Mosaic Law prevented Jews from eating unclean foods. Now, when God gave that diet, those dietary regulations, clean and unclean, he did so with in mind to protect the, the Israelites when they came into the land of Canaan under Joshua to dispossess the Canaanites and their various other indigenous peoples. Uh, he, uh, he did not want them to get involved in the worship of their gods, their false gods. And that would happen by partaking of meals with them because a lot of the foods that they ate, which God designated as unclean, were associated with the worship of these various pagan gods. Okay, that's the main reason. not simply dietary, okay, or for health reasons. The other reason why the law caused the hostility is because Uh, Instead of uh, putting humility in the Jewish people, uh, it uh, many of them it caused them to be arrogant and 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 uh, prideful because God gave them the law they thought they were they they merited it and they were better than the Gentile peoples and that's not the case. In fact, uh, Paul says to you know Jesus said to whom much is given much is required. So we see that those who are near are the Jewish people who are in a covenant relationship with God and those who are far away in this passage were actually Gentiles because they did not have a covenant relationship with God, so we see this is this is a so Paul's very concerned about uh, maintaining uh, this um, this uh, unity experientially. They have it uh, in a positional sense through the baptism of the Spirit, and they'll have it in a perfected sense when they're in a resurrection body at the rapture, the resurrection of the church, which is imminent. Uh, but they it, the, this experiential unity can only happen, it's a, it's only a potential because it, it, the only reason, only way it can keep, uh, be maintained, this unity, experientially, is through the practice of the command to love one another and all that it involves. So let's look at uh, my translation now of chapter two. Now, correspondingly, even though each and every one of you is a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones, because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each and every one of you formerly lived by means of these, an agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, an agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the earth's atmosphere. Specifically, the spirit is wor- working in, in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience. So in those verses, he's speaking of Satan and his cosmic system. Verse three, among whom Each and every one of us in the Christian community, both Jew and Gentile, also formally for our own selfish benefit conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh. And the flesh is speaking of the sin sin nature, which is in the genetic structure of our physical body. That's why I use the word flesh to designate the location of it, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses, which are the product of our flesh. Consequently, each and every one of us caused ourselves to be children who were objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly caused themselves to be children who are objects of God's wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. So we see there that Paul's describing in those verses uh, the, the Christians and, uh, and the recipients of this letter who are Gentile Christians. Uh, he's describing in their, their pre-justification or pre-conversion, or we can say their unregenerate, unsaved state. And, which was in, and, and he does this in order to accentuate the love and grace and mercy of God in, the, in verses 4 through 10. And so then it says in verse 4, he says, but in contrast to their, their pre-justification unregenerate state, but because God is rich with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us in the Christian community, both Jew and Gentile, even though each and every one of us as a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, He caused each and every one of us to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace. Now he's going to define, uh, explain how we're made alive together with Christ in verse 6. Specifically, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. That's our identification with Christ in his resurrection through the baptism of the Spirit and our justification. Correspondingly, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies. That's our identification with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit, and it's our identification in His session at the right hand of the Father. And then Paul gives the reason why, which uh, with a prepositional phrase, which in your Bibles is in, is translated in Christ Jesus, it's actually has a causal idea and it has the figure of metonymy, meaning the faith in Jesus at justification and our union identification with Him through the baptism of the Spirit, a put, uh, uh, Christ is put for those things. So it says this was because of our faith in and, and union identification with Christ Jesus. He did this, verse 7, so that he could display for his own glory during the ages which are certain to come the incomparable wealth which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of each and every one of us because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as the gift from God. It never originated from meritorious actions as a source so that a person cannot, for their own benefit, enter into the state of boasting. For each and every one of us are his creative workmanship. For each and every one of us has been created by means of our faith in and union identification with Christ Jesus, the purpose of which is to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Now we got a new section of the chapter. And it's starting in verse 3. The word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 11, is in the NIV Uh, they use, they probably use therefore as well. See, therefore, that's telling us that what Paul's about to say is actually an inference uh, from those, uh, the preceding verses that we just read from. Uh, it's, It's an inference from the first 10 verses. So therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each of you who belong to the Gentile race, that means somebody who's not Jewish racially, with respect to the human body, specifically those who receive the designation uncircumcision, by those who received the designation circumcision from the Jews with respect to the human body performed by human hands. Then verse 12, he says, each and every one of you Gentiles used to be prior to your justification used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise. That's the Messianic promise, which is the product of the covenants, the Abrahamic, uh, Abrahamic Davidic and new covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing, and consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God in the sphere of the cosmic world system. Then verse 13, like verse 4 uh, through 10, verses 13 to the end of the chapter are giving the contrast. uh, 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 Verse 13 through the rest of the chapter is presenting a contrast with verse 12, which is describing, as we pointed out, uh, the pre-justification state of these Gentile Christians, just like verses 1 through 3 did. So, just like verses 4 through 10 gives you the stark contrast to these Gentiles, Christians, uh, uh, pre-conversion and unregenerate state, so verses 13 through 22 also present a stark contrast, a marked contrast, with the pre-justification unregenerate state of these Gentile Christians, which is described in verse 12. And then we see in verses 1 through 3, those uh, were enslaved to sin and Satan's cosmic system prior to our justification, that's uh, describing us in relation to God. And then in verse 12, it's describing us in relation to uh, the remnant of Israel in the church. And uh, the Messianic Jews, we call them, like Peter, James, and John, the apostles. So those Jewish Jews were part of the remnant of Israel. Not all Israel is Israel, Paul said in Romans chapter two, those who study that with me. A true Jew is not only a, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay, it has to be Jacob, because Jacob's got his name changed by Israel. Uh, to Israel by God. So you have to be descendant biologically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a true Jew. Now, you can be a Jew racially, descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and not believe in Jesus. Yeah, you're a Jew ra- uh, biologically, racially, but in God's eyes, if you read Romans chapter 2, you're not a true Jew. A part, or in other, words, he, in other words, you're not a part of the remnant of Israel. And so the remnant of Israel today in the church age is one wing of the church. The other wing is us Gentiles. So then it says in verse 13, it says, However, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, again, the figure of metonymy there, the person of Christ Jesus is put for a faith in Him at justification and union identification with Him. And so it says, Because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you is a corporate unit who formerly were far away have been now brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace, namely, by causing both groups to be one, Jewish and Gentiles. Specifically, by destroying the wall, and that's a reference to the law, as we'll see, and have seen in detail, which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the two races with each other, and the two races with God. In other words, by nullifying by means of his human nature, the law composed of the commandments consisting of a written code of laws, in order that he might cause the two to be created into one new humanity by means of faith in himself at justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the spirit. Thus he caused the peace to be established, and that's between the two races with each other and the two with God. So we got a new humanity here, composed of both Jew and Gentile, and that's what the church is. They're the new humanity. And if you read Ephesians, we're the bride of Christ, and we're going to be at the rapture. Will be perfected in resurrection bodies. Then immediately after that, we have the bema seat to see who gets merits rewards or not, and then we're presented to the Father. So the marriage is consummated, and the wedding feast of the Lamb and His Bride, us the Church, is the millennial reign of Christ, as we pointed out. So let's keep going, and we'll have more to say about this new humanity today. So then he says, uh, he says in uh, verse 16, in other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through His cross. Consequently, he put to death the hostility. And again, that's the hostility caused by the law between the two races with each other and the two races with God. By means of faith in himself at justification, he did this. And by means of union identification with himself through the baptism of spirit at justification. Verse 17, correspondingly, he came as a, he as a result, came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you Gentiles, namely those who were far off, likewise peace to those who were near. Consequently, through the personal, intermediate agency of himself, Jesus Christ, each and every one of us in the Christian community, both Jew and Gentile, namely both groups, are experiencing by means access to the Father by means of the omnipotence of the one Spirit. And that's again to the presence of the Father. Then verse 19, Indeed therefore, each and every one of you Gentile Christians as a corporate unit are no longer foreigners to the covenants of promise, that is, foreign citizens, but rather each and every one of you as a Corbin unit, are fellow citizens with the saints, that is, members of God's household. Verse 20, Because each and every one of you is a corporate unit, have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each of you, by the apostles as well as prophets. That's the New Testament prophets, as we pointed out. Simultaneously, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. So we have a uh, a building metaphor a temple metaphor here starting in verse 20 and uh, then it says in verse 21 on the basis of its being continually fitted inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union identification with him the whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith union and identification with the lord in other words by appropriating by faith your union identification with him all of you without exception are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. So as I said in our previous class, uh, and and before the opening prayer, excuse me, uh, we're going to wrap up our study of Ephesians 2.21 by noting the second half of the verse which teaches us that the church is presently growing into a holy temple by means of fellowship with the Lord. And this will constitute our 128th hour in Ephesians. So we see, if you look on the board, we noted in our last class, Ephesians 2.21 is composed of a causal participial clause, and it's followed by a declarative statement. Now, as we pointed out in our last class in the uh, Greek text, the causal participial clause is en ho pasa, oikodome, soon aromo logumene, and, and it means on the basis of it being continually fitted inextricably together by means of its union identification with him. Uh, the NIV, they translate this uh, particular causal participial clause in him. The whole building is joined together. Now, in him again, contains the figure of metonymy, and him being re- Jesus. There, uh, it's uh, he's put for faith in him, and justification and union identification with him. And so, uh, so we have here uh, again that causal participial clause begins the verse. En ho pasa oikodome sun aramolou mene, which is translated by myself on the basis of its being fitted continually, extricably to. Uh, fitted together by means of its union identification with Him. So that in Him, in your Bibles, at the beginning of verse 21, is telling us the means by which this took place. And then we have the declarative statement, which is in the NIV, is, is uh, translated like this, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And so that uh, declarative statement, which follows the causal participial clauses, Auxe Ace, naon, hagion, and curio which I translate the whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith, your union identification with Lord. And so in your, in your uh, NIV in the Lord there, that like in him at the beginning of the verse in the Lord is also containing that figure of metonymy where appropriating by faith, your union identification with Christ is uh, put for, uh, he's put for uh, appropriating by faith, our union, identification with Christ. So the figure of etonery is in both prepositional phrases. Now the reason why it, it may sound strange to some people, but most expositors and translators, they know this is shorthand for Paul. In other words, his readers would know what he means. So anytime you really see in Paul's prison epistles, like or anywhere, he said when he says in him or in Christ, in the beloved, as we saw in chapter one, he's or in Christ Jesus or in the Lord, it's somehow. Most of the time, not all the time, but pretty much most of the time, he's talking about some relationship to our justification by faith in Jesus and correspondingly, our union identification with him, which took place at our justification through the baptism of the Spirit. So it's all kind of like, instead of saying that like I do in my translations, he uses shorthand. So I spell it out for you because I can do that because I'm your interpreter. The NIV is not going to do that. The Net Bible is not going to do that, although some translations like I think the New Living Translation and and and, and the uh, some other ones I've shown you in the past, they'll put union with Christ in there. Okay, so it's not, uh, so the they're more of a um, di- uh, dynamic equivalence. Those Good News Bibles, Living tra- uh, New Living Translation, and mine, uh, my translations for you, because I'm your interpreter, I can get away with it. I'm not on a translating translation committee. Uh, my translations are going to be more in- uh, interpretive. All translations interpretive. But mine's showing, is spelling it out a little bit more for you because I can do that. I'm your interpreter. I'm your teacher. Okay, so the the the, the translators they would say, well, you let your pastor and your and your teacher or yourself, you know, you know, exp- figure it out or explain it to you what the, what they mean. That's their job. And so we see here, if we go back to uh, uh, my notes here on the board. Uh, we see that. Um, this uh, So we have this causal participial clause and then we have a declarative statement. And today we're going to work on this declarative statement. Auxai, Naon, Hagion, and Curio. Now as was the case, uh, as was the case in 1 Corinthians three nine, the noun oikodome, here in Ephesians two 9, 19, excuse me, and 2.21, is used in a figurative sense for the body of Christ, the church, as the building of God. And uh, did I make a little typo here? Uh, da, 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 da. Nah, yeah, did I? Okay, see this word, Um, where is it? Akkoitome. So we talk about this building. Okay, we have a building metaphor. So akkoitome, as was the case in 1 Corinthians 3.9, the noun akkoitome here in, in, in Ephesians 2.19 and also 2.21. It needed to be put in there. I, I didn't put it in there. Sorry about that. It's used in a figurative sense for the body of Christ. The church is a building of God. In other words, the word is employed as a building metaphor to describe the members of the body of Christ as a corporate unit. Okay, so let me get the uh, Okay. Where is that uh, Okay, the Melios is there, but where is Akoitome there? All right. Heck with it, I'll move by it. So we this word building, it's a uh, holy uh, Akoidame, uh here in Ephesians two twenty-one is used in a figurative sense of the body of Christ and the church as the building of God. So you see in the participial clause at the beginning of verse 21, okay, uh, acoito All right. So as was the case as was the case in 1 Corinthians 3:9, the noun acoito in Ephesians 2:19 and 21 is used in a figurative sense of the body of Christ, the church is the building of God. In other words, the word is employed as a building metaphor to describe the members of the body of Christ as a corporate unit. The metaphor describes the members of the body of Christ, the church, as a building or construction project undertaken by God and accomplished through the work of his Son in the Spirit. Now, the word is is modified by the nominative, feminine, singular form of the adjective pas, which pertains to the totality of the members of the body of Christ, the church, or we could say it pertains to them as a corporate unit. And as we see, we're we're still talking about the causal participial clause. So here's a coitome, and here's the word next uh, that's speaking about Uh, right here, sum amore logeo. It's used in a figurative and metaphorical sense for the members of the body of Christ being fitted or connected inextricably together to form a coherent whole or corporate unit of people. Now, the causal participle, this word's in the participle conjugation, it's a causal participle, which means that this word in a participial form presents the reason why, or we could say the basis upon which the members of the body of Christ exist in the state of growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Thus, it expresses the idea that on the basis of the members of the Christian community existing in the state of being continually fitted or connected inextricably together as a coherent whole or a corporate unit by means of justification by faith and union identification with Jesus Christ, they are growing into a holy temple by means of fellowship with the Lord. And the present tense is a customary present or state of present, which expresses the idea that the church being continually Joined inextricably together by means of their union and identification with Christ. It also indicates to us that the church, like all of us at the present time, is a work in progress in the sense that the church is growing every day as a result of sinners exercising faith in Jesus Christ. So numerically, we're growing. This results in the Father, at ju- when we someone trusts in Jesus as Savior, this results in the Father imputing or crediting his son's righteousness to them with the result that he declares them justified. And simultaneously, the father, through the work of the son and baptism, places these justified sinners in union with his son, and he identifies them with his son in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the father. Now, the passive voice of this verb is interesting. It's actually called a divine passive. We see these quite a bit in this chapter. The passive voice of this verb indicates that the church-age believers, as the subject of this verb, receive the action of existing in the state of being fitted inextricably together. As a coherent whole and corporate unit and this is by means of justification by faith and union identification with Him. so this again is another what we call in greek grammar uh, in, in biblical studies a divine passive because you and i as church-age believers receive this action of being inextricably uh, tied together fitted together with each other and jesus christ as a result as a result of the father imputing his son's righteousness to us with the result that he declares us justified also it's a divine passive because us church-age believers, both Jew and Gentile, are in, fitted inextricably together with each other in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit places us in union with His Son at justification. He identifies us with His Son in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session at the right hand of the Father. Now, the word for growth there, if you look at your the NIV, it actually, it's funny that they translate it uh, also as rises. Let me give you the net Bible. It actually means grow. I don't know why they do that, but they're more. So you see this here, right here. Uh, we see that the word grows. All right, that word is auxa, uh, auxo, and uh, this word auxo, it's a, uh, it's uh, used in a figurative sense, just like the other word we had in the verse in the causal participial clause. Uh, this word auxo is used in a figurative sense in relation to the body of Christ, and it speaks of the spiritual growth in the individual members of the body of Christ, in the the present tense of this verb, and it's describing what is going on with us church-age believers today. The present tense is a customary or state of presence which uh, expresses the idea that the church is continually growing spiritually into a holy temple by means of fellowship with the Lord. And the word for naos, uh, if you look at uh, the the NIV, it says, in him the whole building is uh, being joined together and rises to become a holy temple and in in is in the lord so this word temple it's uh there's a couple of different words for temple in the new testament and this word naos is uh is interesting because this particular doesn't uh, word speaks of the inner sanctuary of the temple i mean the holy of holies okay so this word naos uh, refers to the inner sanctuary of the temple which was inhabited by the presence of god and it doesn't refer to the entire temple complex and it's used in a figurative sense to describe the members of the Christian community as a corporate unit. This is staggering, people. You know, if you really think about it, again, this goes back to your identification with Christ and his session at the right hand of the Father. Where does Jesus sit right now? At the right hand of the Father. What is he doing there? He's interceding for us. He's ruling history. He's waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet by his Father so he can come back with his bride, the church, and start the kingdom on the earth. And remove Satan for a thousand years and defeat Antichrist and the false prophet. And the tribulation armies, okay, and lift the curse. Well, you and I, are at the right hand of the Father, because we're in union with Christ. Remember in Ephesians two six, He said, "You're raised with seated with Christ in the heavenlies, at the throne room of God, and the holy of holies." Remember the temple. Those of you who study the, uh, with uh, my study in exodus, we did a whole thing on the tabernacle. Okay, so that temple, you know, the tabernacle got into the once they started the building the temple, we see that that temple. Oh, I, that's interesting. My phone. I didn't put my phone on airplane mode. Sorry about that. Did you hear go ding. Oh, <laughs> well, this has been a this has been a cool morning so far. All right, so you the, the tabernacle. Okay, and then they had the temple. Okay, so there's the holy of holies. Okay, that's where the ark of the covenant is, and that's where we are. So that tabernacle and that tabernacle and the and the ark of the covenant, everything in there, is a picture of heaven, the throne room of God. Okay. So we are seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's how God looks at us. So stop thinking that God doesn't, he's not, can't hear you in prayer or something like that. It's ridiculous. Cause he hears you. Now maybe you might be out of fellowship but he's not answering your prayers because you need to confess your sins. And uh, and maintain that fellowship by, after you've been re- uh, restored fellowship to fellowship through the confession of sin, you need to maintain that fellowship by obeying what he's saying in the Holy, and, by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. So you have you and I have access to the throne of God. We're in the throne of God. We're in a position of authority. We're going to rule the world. Do you understand that? We're going to rule the world. You may not be you may be a housewife or a grandmother or a plumber or you're just uh, working at McDonald's or whatever. You, you think you're insignificant, but you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're significant. I don't care who you are. Black, white, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, I don't care what you, 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 your past is bad. If you believe in Jesus, your world has changed and you should define yourself and look at yourself from God's perspective and don't look at yourself according to your sins and transgressions. Forget about your past, you died. You, you died. The, day, the minute you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you died to the past. So forget about, your, oh, you didn't have a nice mother and you didn't have a nice father, you didn't have any one of them. My mother didn't even have her parents. They were dead before she was five. She was raised by her, her oldest sister and her husband. Youngest of Nike she was orphaned, okay? But that didn't wreck her life, you know? So don't be telling me, oh, I was a drug addict one time or I was a prostitute or whatever you, whatever you, who cares? You believe in Jesus, you've died. Those things have died. Your past is gone. The people might bring up your past, but God won't bring it up. It's dead to him. That was when you're, you and I were in our living in and our uh, enslaved to sin and Satan's cosmic system. But That's not the case anymore. So when we have fellowship with the Lord, through obedience to his word, we're going to experience that which is true of us positionally. Namely, we're raised and seated with Christ. We're died, crucified, died, buried, raised and seated with Christ. So we now must define ourselves by that. You are somebody and worth something to God because you were created in the image of God to start with. Now you're created in the image of Christ, who's the image of God, through the baptism of the Spirit and your justification. Okay? so you're going to reign with Christ, you're his bride, you're members of the body of Christ, he's the head, you're the members of the body, and th- th- we're inextricably tied together. That th- this word that I, I showed to you, either this big big word in the Greek, which is a lot of fun to uh, pronounce, lomo geto, and that word is used in a figurative or metaphorical sense for the members of the body of Christ, you and I being fitted or connected inextricably together to form a coherent, whole, or corporate unit of people. And so this is incredible. And so you and I, you and I are in the throne room of God, the third heaven. We, when we experience that presence of God, we're in the presence of God. And when we experience that presence, when we have fellowship with God. Now this word, as I said before, for temple, there's a couple of words in the New Testament for temple, and they should translate them differently. This word, naos, and Ephesians 2.21 is actually speaking of the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, which was inhabited again by the presence of God. And it's not referring to the entire temple complex. And it's used in a figurative sense for us, to describe us members of the Christian community as a corporate unit. And it's modified by the adjective hagios, holy, which is describing the members of the church or the body of Christ as being set apart to serve God exclusively in an experiential sense. And this is indicated by the present tense of the verb axo, which we noted as a figurative, used in a figurative sense, again, in relation to us, the body of Christ, and it speaks of our spiritual growth as individual members of the body of Christ. And this word naos is the object of the preposition ais, and uh, in the Greek, and it marks, that preposition marks the members of the body of Christ, the church, as a group of individuals whose character is being transformed from the state of sin and rebellion to those who possessed experientially a holy character. So therefore, by describing church-age believers as growing into a holy temple of God here in Ephesians 2:11, he's implying that the church is indwelt by God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that something? You're indwelt by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, let's put things in, a, let's do a little application. When you're down, and you're troubled, and you got your, you got health issues, you got financial problems, you got relationship problems, your marriage thing, your husband's a jerk, uh, my boyfriend's a jerk, my wife is a jerk, she kept burning the eggs, uh, and she's, uh, you know, she's, uh, we, I, my, uh, my girlfriend's a, a jerk. My parents, my, my children don't love me, they don't come and see me. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting in a nursing home, all right? Uh, nobody comes to see me, I'm lonely. I I don't, I I don't have any friends. I feel like I'm isolated. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't have many likes on Facebook. <laughs> all right. So whatever the problem is, put it in perspective, people. Don't get upset about, get all worked up, all those things. Look it, you've got everything. Your biggest problem in mine were resolved at the moment we trusted in Jesus when we were declared justified. We received his righteousness and we're not going to go to hell forever in the lake of fire. That's your biggest problem in mind. We were sl- enslaved to sin and sat- Satan in cosmic system. Not anymore. Uh, we used to be a f- fear of death. Not anymore. When we die, we'll be absent from the body, face to face with the Lord. We, we, our sins and not held against us as far as the East is from the West. I, know, I don't I no longer consider those sins anything. They're gone. I, my son paid for them. I mean, the son went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God and was abandoned by his father. You're never going to be abandoned. He was. He was. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because that's what hell's like. You're abandoned by God, and the physical torture, and there's this mental torture of being abandoned by God for all of eternity. And he had to go through that, those last three hours on the cross, so that we wouldn't do that for all of eternity. So he values it that much. They have value that much to do something like that. Man, that was a big sacrifice, not only for the Son, but also with the father. You think the father enjoyed being uh, casting, uh, pouring his wrath out on his son? No. Think the Holy Spirit enjoyed that? No. But they did it because they love us. So if God loves you, that's the most important person that you need to be loved by. Okay. Put your life in perspective. You know. Hey, look at. Just sorry. Pardon me for for doing this, uh, but I like to do this so you understand. I have to apply to. Look at. I don't, I don't have, I don't have a wife and kids. My a lot of my friends have grandchildren. My brothers, you know, I don't have that. I'll never have that. I've, uh, I, i am not a rich man. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have any of that. I don't. I'm, my family is in Massachusetts. My mother's got dementia. She's dying. My father could go at any time. He's got a bad heart. I just lost my brother Kenny to cancer at fifty-five. I lost, I lost uh, my, I had been through church splits, uh, two of them in Iowa. I lost uh, several friends, three friends within a six months period when, when I, uh, toward my end of uh, being at uh, Prairie um, in Marion, in Iowa, before I left to go back to Massachusetts. I lost three friends through suicide, okay? And you know, I, 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 I'm not, I don't, I don't have any status in life. I'm a pastor. Um, at least down here, they respect you a little bit more, uh, a lot more. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm, consi- I'm not, I don't, you know, my old, my baseball coach told me that when he told them I was a, I went to lunch with him several years back. I told him, Billy, what do you think Billy Winston's doing? They all said, I don't know. He goes, uh, he's a pastor. And they all started laughing. Okay. So, I mean, I laughed about my own hometown. All right. Which I didn't, I don't mind. It doesn't matter to me, to me. But i my point is, you know, all the things that make a man Okay, give me. Listen, everything in this country were a Marxist success for men. Okay, I don't have, I don't own anything. I live in a rented house. <laughs> you know, and you think you think you think I'm crushed by that? No, do I do I tend to bother me at times? Yeah, but then I deal with this and I would say Oh, apply the word of God and say, okay, this is what I have to look at myself this way. I may not look like much to the world today, and I might be considered. Who cares about that guy? Is anybody listening to that guy? Who's watching him? I don't really care. At the end of the day, I know who I am in Christ, and I'll tell you right now, I may not look like somebody now, but I intend to be somebody in the new heavens, and the new earth, and the millennial reign. I'm going for that. My priorities are right, okay? So I'm telling you, don't you let anything stop you. You have a great plan set before you, you and I do. You're dwelt by the Trinity, Everything that you need in life is right there in your relationship with God. He's the most important relationship you have, not your husband or your wife, because your husband and wife you're going to lose them eventually, or they're going to lose you. Your children are not the most important relationship because you're going to lose them eventually, or they'll lose you. One way or the other, you know, your house, your ba- your job, your bank account, you know, your, uh, you know, your, your, your RV, okay, your dogs. Eventually, you're going to get taken away from all these things, and or they'll be taken away from you. So why, and why would you have your riches on earth, as Jesus said, okay, and the Sermon on the Mount? Your riches should be in heaven, right? So that's the world to come. And this is temporary. It's passing away. That's what we're told in 1 John 2, 15, through 17, not love the things of the world. Yet we've got Christians doing that. And they say, well, I don't, I don't get enough out of my relationship with God. And, and I don't, they, they complain about that. You don't put any effort into your relationship with God. That's why your problem is. So, why don't you put some work into your relationship with God? And stop watching Netflix so much, you know, or watching the football game, you know, really. You know, I used to do that too. I used to watch tons of sports. I was, I was a God, I was a, an idolater in sports and music, you know, and I love both sports and music, but they have their proper place. And I, 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 you know, for relationships, you can put your relationships out of proper context. You could, be, you could be idolatrous in valuing your human relationships more than your relationship with God, which demonstrates by the fact that when it comes to loving God, you'd rather go and sin against God and have this relationship rather than obeying God, which might cost you that relationship. I know what that's like. like I had to make a choice in my life too, and you might have had to make that too. But at the end of the day, what's more important? Pleasing God or pleasing people or pleasing oneself? Because as far as I look at myself, I look at my Bible. It's uh, it has nothing to do about me pleasing myself, or you know, I please God, and I'll do right by other people. If I don't please God by doing what He wants me to do, grow up spiritual maturity, become a member of the body uh, to uh, grow to spiritual maturity, to serve in a church, to uh, to to be a good steward of my time, talent, treasure, and truth that God gave me, you know, practicing the command, love one another, fulfilling, using my gift to benefit the body of Christ, okay? So, because at the end of the day, people, when it's time to die, and maybe that'll be a long process or maybe a short one, okay? Uh, you might go quick. Who knows? Or in somewhere in between, okay? It might take a long time. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you when it's time to go, are you going to be having regrets? I should have, could have, would have. You know, we had an expression in sports, you hear it, leave it all out on the field. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. When I... and you know, and, and if you're doing all these things and, you, and, you, and you're advancing, good. We haven't, we haven't, the race is not over yet. You got to keep for, forging ahead and the race is over and the, the, our, our job is done when we die or the rapture, whichever comes first. So Paul, by Paul describing church age believers as growing into a holy temple, uh, of God here in Ephesians 2.11. It says, to one of my notes, forgive me for making a mistake, I checked these notes and edit them before I sent them out. It drives me crazy. <laughs> so therefore, by Paul, describing church-age believers as growing into a holy temple of God here in Ephesians 2.11, he's implying that the church is dwelt by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the book of Exodus, this is interesting. The book of Exodus, uh, the, in, in the, uh, the book of Exodus presents the Lord dwelling in the midst of the nation of Israel in the tabernacle. He indwelt the temple Solomon had built, uh, 1 Kings chapter six and eight. He also indwelt Zerubbabel's temple, according to the book of Haggai, a book we studied. The gospels record the incarnate son of God, Jesus Christ, indwelling and teaching and healing in Herod's temple. And each of these temples, Jews were separated from Gentiles. In fact, Gentiles were not permitted to enter the tabernacle, as well as the temples of Solomon, Zerubbabel, and Herod, but were relegated to a section which separated them from the Jewish worshippers of the God of Israel. However, both Jewish and Gentile church-age believers are both permanently indwelt by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we are in a dispensation which was never known to Old Testament saints. We're a mystery. They didn't know about us in the Old Testament. God didn't reveal us about the church until uh, the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD. From that point on, the apostles of Jesus and the New Testament prophets by the Spirit were given this revelation that was not known to Old Testament saints like Daniel, Abraham Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and all those guys. Now, as we close, as was the case in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 15, and 17, the referent of the word for Lord, Kyrios, is Jesus Christ, and it too as I've been pointing out, contains the figure of metonymy, which means that the Lord is put for the church-age believer appropriating by faith their union and identification with Him in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father. In other words, uh, the Lord is put for experiencing fellowship with Him as a result of appropriating by faith their union and identification with Him in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father. And this interpretation is supported by the meaning of the verb auxo, which we noted speaks of the spiritual growth of the members of the body of Christ, which is the result of appropriating by faith their union identification with Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the right hand of the Father. And uh, also, it's supported by the present tense of this verb, which expresses a present state, or in other words, the church-age believer grows up spiritually into Christ-likeness by experiencing fellowship with the Lord. This is accomplished, again, by appropriating by faith their union identification with Him, and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the right and the hand of the Father. Remember, we studied this in the last class, Romans 6 and uh, Colossians 2 and 3. We're, cons- we're died with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ. So God says that to appropriate by faith our union identification with Christ means that you consider yourself as crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. Okay, Paul talks about doing this himself and uh, in, uh, in Philippians 3, 10 and 11. and Was it Galatians 2, 20? that famous passage. So it's considering yourself dead to the sin nature in the cosmic system says, and lied to God. Why? Because you, you're crucified, died, buried, raised in seed with him. I've adopted the view that God has of me. And that's everything. Also, we see that this is accomplished. This, uh, this particular growth is accomplished by obeying the various spirit-inspired commands and prohibitions of Scripture with the greatest being the command to love one another as Christ has loved us. John 13, 34, and fifteen twelve. Now the word for Lord, kurios, kurios, it's the kudios, as some pronounce it, is the object of the preposition n, which functions as a marker of means. And this indicates that it is by means of church age believers experiencing fellowship with the triune God by appropriating by faith their union and identification with the Lord and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the writing of the Father that they are growing spiritually into a holy temple Experientially, So therefore, Ephesians 2.21, as we close, reveals that the church is a work in progress, numerically as well as spiritually or experientially. This is important for all of us to understand. I'm not perfect yet and neither are you. One day we'll be perfect. We'll never sin again when we get that resurrection body or we die and we're absent from the body, face to face with the Lord and no longer carrying this body of sin around with us, Romans six six. Okay? So, we need to practice the command of love one another, be patient, tolerant, and forgiving of one another. Everyone, everyone, okay? We gotta be that way, because God's patient with us, and we need to be patient with other people, and ourselves, okay? When we fail, confess it. And then, to stay in fellowship, you obey his word. Be disciplined in doing that every day. Now, the participial clause. The participial causal clause, as I pointed out to you, and in, in, uh, we studied in the last class, and today, It makes clear that sinners are being added to those who are already members of the body of Christ, i.e. the church, as a result of exercising faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And consequently, the Father imputes, or we could say credits, His Son's righteousness to us and declares them justified. Simultaneously, as we also noted, the Holy Spirit, through baptism, places justified sinners in union with His Son, the Father's Son, and identifies them with his son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the right hand of the Father. And thus, these justified sinners are added to the church membership. The declarative statement also reveals that these justified sinners who are in union with Jesus Christ and identified with him are growing spiritually and experiencing their sanctification. In other words, experiencing the holiness of God by appropriating by faith their union identification with Christ. And this is accomplished by considering themselves, dead to the sin nature, Romans six eleven and 12, and the cosmic system of Satan, Galatians six fourteen, and alive to God. So you and I got a plan right now. Our job is to grow up spiritually. And that means taking the Word of God every day and put it into practice. Being disciplined prayerfully, consider studying the Word of God. When I say prayerfully, carefully prayerfully consider how to apply what you're being taught. Don't be thinking about how my husband needs to apply it or my ex-wife, okay? You have to, you, you start with you. You work on you before you start taking out the log and trying to pull out the, the speck of your brother or your sister's eye. What about you first? You and I need to work on ourselves before we try to start correcting other people. You know, we need to be doing the right thing before we have any credibility and trying to help somebody else or trying to uh, correct them, you know, or complain about them. You Never should be doing that either. All right. We've run out of time. We'll pick this up. Uh, next Tuesday, and we'll uh, it'll be our last two classes for the break. And uh, we'll be finishing off chapter two uh, next week. We're doing Ephesians 2.22. Thank you for joining us. And let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this class will be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.